The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Presenting Season 8, Collision. Penny Black, written by Mercedes Lackey and Dennis Lee. Carefully, Penny shook Lacey's shoulder. This wasn't the first time that Penny had tried to wake the woman, but it was the first time Penny had actually touched her, other than to feed her. It was almost supper time by the feeling in her tummy, and Lacey's guy had suggested that whatever the dark man was giving Lacey to make her sleep, it might be wearing off about that time. Miss, Penny said quietly, while the other children watched her covertly, waiting to see what might happen to her if she woke the crazy lady. Miss, 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 you gotta wake up, Miss. There, there's a guy here, Miss. He wants to talk to you. The woman batted at Penny's hand and moaned. Penny noticed that she'd lost the tip of her little finger on that hand without any surprise. The devil took bits of the children. Sometimes he would cut off some hair. Other times he would jab a large needle into the belly and take something from inside. And sometimes he took bits of finger, usually the tip. No one knew why. Miss, she persisted, shaking gently. The guy wants to talk to you, miss. Lacey muttered something. Penny thought she might be asking, Who is it? What do you want? Penny looked to the ghost. He shrugged as if he couldn't figure out what she'd said either. Miss, Miss Lacey, Penny said. You've got to wake up. Her name isn't Lacey. Penny blinked in surprise and turned her head again to look at the ghost. Well, what is it then? she demanded. To her surprise, the ghost looked unhappy at first and then screwed up his face in concentration. He sat that way some time before sagging in defeat. I don't remember, he said sadly. That didn't make any sense. How can you not remember if you know her? Penny demanded, loudly enough that the other kids gave her one of those looks. The ghost looked so sad that Penny felt horrible for asking the question. When you die, he said, quietly and with deep unhappiness. The first thing you start to forget is names. First, people you only ever heard about. Then people you sort of know. Then friends. Then family. Then... He shrugged. Then you forget your own name. Penny's mouth dropped open in astonishment. But... But... How can you forget your own name? Why would you? Someone told me. I, I don't remember her name either. She was a magician, or at least she said she was. She said names were power. Uh, 
When you know someone's name, you have power over them, she said. He looked down at his hands, curled like petals over his knees. Maybe we forget names so no one can call us back. Huh. She glanced over at Lacey who wasn't Lacey, who had dropped back into oblivion. After a while, you forget more than your own name, the ghost continued. You forget who people were or that you ever knew them. The only thing that anchors you is anger, hate, all the bad stuff. You start to fade, and you start to go to pieces. It makes you crazy. That's why all those other ghosts I chased away were crazy. Penny felt her eyes widening. But I thought, I thought when you died, you went to the good place? Or, or the bad place, she whispered. I don't know, the ghost shrugged. When I still remembered my name, I talked to another one that wasn't crazy yet, who said most people go somewhere else. But some of us get stuck. He said there were three kinds that got stuck. Some were scared to move on. Some were stuck because of something they still needed to do. And some were stuck because someone needed them. His shoulders heaved a little, as if he had sighed. I don't remember which kind I am. He looked so sad again that Penny wanted to hug him. I bet, she said instead. It's cause Lacey needs you. I bet once you help her, you'll go where you're supposed to. You think? He looked a little more cheerful at that. I bet, Penny repeated firmly. He managed a smile. I bet you're right then, he agreed. And the sooner we can wake her up and get her head fixed, the better. <laughs> right, Penny said as cheerfully as she could and went back to shaking Lacey's shoulder. Miss? Miss, you gotta wake up now, miss. Ice Cold Written by Mercedes Lackey and Veronica Jaguer Bella listened to Red Savior describe her worst nightmare. She felt her temper boiling as Natalia all but crowed over her team's uncovering of the main Thulian headquarters and the only thing that kept it from exploding was the chilling effect of the videos of that headquarters. Not a building. Not a hollowed-out mountain. A city. A city of millions. And not a city of millions of civilians mixed in with a much smaller population of fighters. This was a city designed and planned to support a vast army, equipped with the latest of Thulian technology, which very likely was worse than anything they had already thrown at the rest of the world. The mere fact that every technological and magic trick in the world's arsenal had been deployed to find this city, and had failed, proved that. And your team killed one Thulian and alerted the rest to their portals being opened off schedule, she said flatly, interrupting Savior's glee. Shto? the commissar replied, frowning. 
they were not detected. But something was, Bella pointed out sharply. One of their personnel has gone missing. Someone opened and closed their doors. These are Krieger's Red Savior, the mindset of the German technician attached to a society with the goal of world conquest. If they hadn't yet leapt to the conclusion that we found them, they very soon will deduce that conclusion, which is exactly the scenario I didn't want to have happen. She realized she had gotten to her feet and was shouting those last words only when she had hit the desk with the flat of her hand. She took a deep breath and sat down, slowly. Natalia watched her, eyes narrowed, but said nothing. Bella wanted badly to hit her, throw things, scream and rage, all of which would accomplish nothing, and the clock, started by the actions of Red Savior, was ticking. Overwatch, she ordered. Priority command. Contact all on war list. Call emergency meeting. Override all other priorities. She saw, with grim satisfaction, Red Savior's head snap up as the extremely unpleasant tone of the war list alert rang through her skull at a volume intended to wake anyone even out of a drunken or drugged stupor. While Savior was still reacting, she stepped from behind her desk and passed Savior, right out the door, headed for the conference room. Overwatch would be informing the commissar of where that room was about now— and yes, this was a calculated insult, which Bella hoped would put Red Savior in her place and make her understand that she and the CCCP were no more than one part of a vast machine, which was now, thanks to her, lurching into unbalanced motion. Bella could only pray that the Thulians were denser, or more self-confident, than she feared. Lurching was not the way to win a war. The meeting was still going on, but despite all the recriminations, chest-thumping, arguments about who was to blame and who was to take precedence over someone else, the conclusion was foregone. Bella excused herself, ceding the chair to Yankee Pride gratefully. Pride was better at negotiating than she was anyway. She wanted to get to the quantitator without Savior around, and right now, Savior was up to her eyeballs in recriminations and self-defense. If she tried one of her patented storm-out-in-a-cream-colored-huff exits, she'd probably be arrested at the door by the agents of three global military powers, Echo and a supernaut. Time was of the essence, and rank hath its privileges. Bella ordered a jetpack brought to the nearest entrance. Now, please. And someone from Quartermaster Corps was waiting right there with it. He helped her don it, and she was moving while fastening the last buckle. Minutes later, rather than the half to three-quarters of an hour it would have taken by ground, she touched down at CCCP HQ. The guard on duty was Untermensch, who clearly had realized by this point that CCCP in general, and Red Savior in particular, had screwed the pooch. He ducked his head slightly, then shrugged and waved her in. She marched straight to the door of the quantitator room with barely a nod at Chug. Overwatch, open Ramona, she ordered, and as soon as the slight carrier wave sound told her Ramona was live, began speaking even as she was powering up the quantator. Ramona, we have a shitstorm here. 
Get yourself and Merc on the main line, pronto. I need you to sell icebergs to Eskimos. And I need it yesterday. The image faded, the bits of color disappearing from the screen. Ramona passed her hand over her forehead and scratched at a small flake of metal. Well, that changes things. Not everything, just the general timetable. Timetable? Mercury shook his head, still stunned by the report from Bella. He hadn't known her ever to swear so profusely or vehemently. Timetable for what? For getting your amazingly and remarkably absent benefactors into the game and onto the winning side. I thought we'd have a week or two, given how slowly they like to move and what you've told me about their tendencies to vote on everything. She offered him a rueful smile. We can now blame the Russians and their illustrious savior for compressing a few weeks of coordination into little more than a day and months of prep into a week or so. That assessment brought Merck to his feet. He waved both hands in front of him, blonde surfer locks swaying back and forth with his protest. No, no, I don't think you understand. Ramona, they won't. They, they can't. It goes against their idea of a true democracy. The arguments and counter-arguments in the primary debate alone would take, like, three days, and that's without breaks. He thought back to his initial requests for television shows and blue-box macaroni and cheese dinners. The latter had taken six days because someone's concern about the sodium content had sparked a secondary discussion. You won't be able to rush them. Ramona pushed herself up from the white microfiber sofa. She was every bit the person he remembered from their conversations via the quantator and their admittedly brief time together before he had arrived in Metis. She met his no with a frown and folded her arms across her chest. Not if their inaction could be what ultimately brings them down. If their desire for this pure democracy is what winds up eradicating every last bit of freedom and humanity that they've loved to watch like some primetime sitcom for decades? Well, when you put it that way... That's what it's going to be, Rick. Bella's not one for exaggeration. She knows the difference between not so bad and holy shit fire when it comes to situations, and right now the Thulians are ready to burn everything that we know to the ground if we don't act. Ramona started to pace, movement that Rick found more soothing than unnerving. As she went from one wall to another and circled the sofa, he padded to his favorite spot on the white carpet and sat cross-legged. Palms resting lightly on his knees, Rick closed his eyes. Asking permission isn't going to get us anywhere. You might be able to clue in Marconi as to what needs to be done, but Tesla won't go along with it. Because, she prompted. Her tone said that she suspected the answer, but she wanted him to acknowledge it before she put it out in the open. Uh, because he's Tesla? Because he wants proof? Because he's scared. That statement surprised Mercury. He opened his eyes to find Ramona leaning over the sofa, watching him. Slowly, her eyes lit up and one corner of her mouth stretched back into a sly smile. Think about it. This is all he's known for how long? 
he and Marconi, if this goes, then they're gone. If they don't get canned in some huge data wipe, then they'd be held hostage by the Thulians. Oh, maybe two in a series. Like a battery of captured geniuses locked up to power something bigger. The idea awed Mercury for a split second before the horror of his suggestion caught up to him. Wait, you don't think they could actually do that, do you? Gigantic floating spheres, enormous armored aliens, and I'm bleeding out metal. I've got a pretty big imagination these days. Ramona licked her lips and glanced to the door. Do these guys have any kind of schedule for their proceedings? Is there a good time or a bad time to bring up these kinds of things in committees or whatever they use? Mercury thought for a moment, trying to remember what Trina had told him during their conversations and the questions that he had asked. Well, they don't like surprises. Everything has to go through the proper committees, and nothing is ever brought directly to the assembly. Like, you couldn't just walk in there and bring it up. Perfect. With a speed that he didn't think Ramona possessed, she grabbed his wrist and pulled him to a standing position. Let's call Trina and figure out how to get in there. Nothing like the element of surprise, right? For his part, Mercury was too stunned to answer. The new Ramona was remarkably strong. Trina agreed to go as far as the antechamber to the room that housed the medicine assembly. She led Mercury and Ramona in front of the enormous double doors and offered them a weak smile. If everything that you've said is true, then this is the right choice, and I don't regret it. Don't worry. It's true. Bella had sent Ramona a highlights tape of what the CCCP team had seen of what they were now calling Ultima Thule. It fit. Better than the original concept's name of Germania fit. When Marconi had figured out how to download it to the Meta systems, he'd been properly horrified by the vast size of the place, and the implication that there were millions of waiting warriors lurking there, ready to deploy at any moment. Convincing them of the truth isn't going to be a problem. Trina nodded in uncertain agreement. Just be careful. No one has ever been banned from the assembly, but that doesn't mean they won't try to remove you from the proceedings. She rose upon her toes and gave Mercury a chaste kiss on the cheek. Good luck. To Ramona's surprise, the speedster blushed at the attention. He didn't return the kiss. Won't be luck that we need. <laughs> Just watch the door and let her talk. They won't be able to say no once Ramona starts talking. We hope. Ramona ran through the key information that Bella had sent. Marconi had his cue, and he had assured her that the medicines would not be able to shut him out of the system easily. You head clockwise once the doors open, Rick. I'll go center. Ready? He exhaled and shook out his hands and feet. Call it. Ramona flexed her fingers, her eyes fixed on the door. They would only have one opportunity. Go. Trina yanked on the door to allow a blur of white to rush in. The cries of indignation and protest came in seconds, and the noise grew to a roar in less than a minute. 
Ramona slipped through the door and allowed her eyes to adjust to the dim light. Like the room where she had stood face to gigantic face with Tesla and Marconi, she could not make out a ceiling or walls beyond the door she had just passed through. Air rushed behind her, proof of Mercury's distraction while she made her way to what she hoped was the center of the room. Small blue-white lights illuminated frantic figures at long white tables. They gestured at her, motioning her back toward the double doors. Ramona ignored them and climbed on top of a table. She brought her foot down twice, the sharp crack of boot on marble reminiscent of a gavel. Immediately, the noise stopped. I wish to call the Assembly's attention to a matter of grave importance, Ramona began in a clear voice. She counted to five silently, hoping that someone would respond. On what grounds and for what purpose? The clear and cultured tone came from somewhere above her left shoulder. Ramona guessed there was some kind of raised dais for speakers or key members to offer arguments. Survival and survival, she added with a touch of sarcasm. Survival of Medus, I mean. The room roared again in protest. Out of order. This is not the proper procedure for the petition of the assembly. This isn't a petition, Ramona shot into the darkness. It's a warning. The Thulians are coming for you, the same way that they came for the rest of the earth. Those words silenced the room. Mercury came to a stop next to her and rested a hand on her shoulder. It's true, he called. I've seen the proof, and you're all in danger. We're all in danger, he corrected. The sonorous voice over her left shoulder asked the first question, one that Ramona had expected. Why would you think that the Thulians are coming for us? We are not in the battle, and the Assembly has deemed there to be no need to join the conflict. Murmurs of approval followed his words. We have not seen danger. Danger doesn't walk up to the front door and knock, and if you're doing your best to ignore all of the signs, then you're definitely not going to see it. Ramona cracked the heel of her boot twice against the marble, and Marconi answered with a slowly visible image of the Thulian city above the heads of the assembly. Like the visages of the two elder scientists, the faint outline of the taller buildings and the perimeter sketched across the air. Pale blue lines darkened as the intricacies of the city filled in with more lines— White and silver shading gave depth and detail, while symbols that Ramona guessed to be medicine characters labeled the larger structure. Finally, a second, much smaller city outlined in yellow appeared beneath the outline. From the gasps and murmurs in the half-light, Ramona could only guess that the smaller city was Metis. The Thulians aren't idle or passive— their attacks on Earth, on the metahumans of Earth, and the innovations that Metis has generously provided them over the decades have been calculated from the very beginning. Just like their city, which is far bigger and more complex than any of us could have imagined. Ramona snapped her fingers twice to bring the most prominent Thulian buildings to the foreground. This isn't a city built for peace. This is a city designed to train soldiers and sustain a brutal war. 
but we are not at war with the Thulians. The voice behind Ramona reminded her with equal parts annoyance and condescension. Earth is at war with them, and your Echo is presently engaged in that conflict. We have not agreed to take any part in this conflict, Miss Ferrari. The fact that some holier-than-thou medicine knew her name and used it in the same simpering tone as everyone who'd ever ignored her detective credentials during a critical investigation made Ramona's blood boil. She stepped back and craned her neck up to look at the speaker. A smooth-faced man in a white jacket that would have been fashionable in the 70s glared down at her, his mouth drawn tight. First of all, it's Steel Maiden. I had these metafactors triggered without the help of any of your fancy technology or tweaking, so you can show some respect by using my call sign. As soon as Ramona said metafactors, murmured discussions sprang up around the room. Mercury chuckled softly at her ear. Now you've got him. Don't stop. That's right. Now we are able to trigger metafactors. There are metahumans on both sides of the fight, and plenty who are left in the middle, waiting for a side to choose them. Ramona returned her attention to the floating wireframe. She brought both index fingers together above her head and stretched them out to shoulder width. In response, the city grew and the central areas gained definition. Based upon the information gathered... Gathered by whom? Another voice, mellifluous and light, came from the same balcony where the sour-faced representative stood. How did you come by this very detailed map of the Thulian city? Ramona allowed herself a very small smirk. We made it from the spy scan of our infiltration team. We aren't limited to the technology that you, in your intermittent wisdom and benevolence, decided to give to us poor ordinary humans. When I say that we and Echo have seen the city, I'm not exaggerating. The murmurs of surprise rippled around the room at that bit of news, encouraging her to continue. We infiltrated, but there is a very high chance that the Thulians either know or will realize soon that we did. And when they do, they will escalate. This is a very real threat, and you cannot afford to sit up here and debate if you need to enter this conflict. The fabric of our society thrives on debate and innovation, my dear. The woman's simpering tone was more irritating than the man's sharp dismissal. We have a process by which to arrive at these choices, a process that reflects a progressive and truly democratic society. Progressive my metallic ass, Ramona spat. It reflects a society of indecisive cowards who would rather watch some so-called lesser creatures fight for them so they never have to take responsibility for their downfall or the murder of one of their closest allies, Alex Tesla. The mention of Alex Tesla brought the entire assembly to a roar of accusations and arguments. Several of them screamed at Ramona, their gestures made more ghostly in the blue half-light. She stood silent and defiant, and waved her left hand to dismiss the Thulian city, and the room plunged into darkness. Startled by the change from light to dark, the voices cut off. She spoke into the darkness. The Thulians can control metafactors. 
They have soldiers with metahuman traits, leaders in massive armies, and allies on Earth. A choice to remain neutral is a choice for the death of your precious society. Ramona drew a deep breath, ready to drive in the final coffin nail. The next time they mount a major attack, and it will be soon, they won't hold back. We destroyed their North American base. They hit us back and we drove them off. But they were holding back. We know that now, although we don't know why, now that we've seen this city. The next time, they'll throw everything at us, and they'll roll right over the top of us, and your only line of defense will be gone. If they don't already know about your existence, and you would be wise to assume that they do, they'll imply it from what they can pull out of the wreckage. And then they will be coming for you. They won't allow you to stand. Your choices will be simple. Die or be assimilated. She took a second long breath. Now to pull the reveal. But now we know where they are and what they have. We are going to have to attack them now when they are not expecting it and we stand a chance of succeeding. Remaining neutral is a choice to die yourselves, to murder Mistress Tesla and Marconi, and destroy everything they have created in the name of your progress. No one spoke. Ramona could feel Mercury breathing next to her, little puffs of air just behind her ear. As the silence stretched on, he laced his fingers with hers. She squeezed his hand gently and took a deep breath. Icebergs never seemed that big at first sight, but Ramona had explained everything beneath the proverbial waves, and the medicines had finally realized what that collision would mean for them. In the space where the wireframe city had hung, the image of Tesla came to life in stunning three-dimensional clarity. Rather than simply an enormous talking head, a full figure stood on an imaginary platform above the medicine assembly in severe and fastidious dress. Hands clasped behind his back, he seemed to survey the stunned representatives with an expression equal parts disdain and disappointment. It would seem obvious that Signore Marconi and I would prefer a choice that keeps us among the living. But the reason goes further. There are brilliant minds contained within Echo, shrewd negotiators and accomplished tacticians who have ensured survival this far. Our allies seek collaboration, not protection. But they are still so young, the woman protested. They lack a mature understanding of this particular conflict. I disagree. Tesla raised one finger to point at the ceiling. For an organization thrust into new responsibilities among both the metahuman and arcane, their leadership is quite mature, and they are willing to explore new alternatives. Quite progressive. Ramona pivoted so she could see both Tesla and the two medicine leaders at the same time. The man and woman appeared perplexed by Tesla's presence. The man fiddled with the high collar of his jacket and stole a glance at Ramona. His mouth twisted in the manner of someone smelling manure, and she decided she really did not like the man. At least his counterpart had the decency to maintain a somewhat neutral expression. 
And their technology, then? Do they have the advancement necessary to support the innovations that only we can provide? You yourself have expressed frustration over humanity's inability to fully appreciate the gifts of science when tempted with capitalism and sociological hierarchy. It was tempting to remind this woman that she was part of this so-called sociological hierarchy, but Ramona pressed her lips together and resisted the urge to speak. Tesla gestured with an open palm to her and Mercury, his normally severe expression softening the smallest bit. And these representatives of that humanity have not only recognized our role as benefactors, but have extended an offer of alliance. A symbiotic relationship. Was that not part of the medicine intent when we founded this city? To find and foster equals? The room hummed with discussion. Mercury leaned over. I've never seen him with feet. I didn't think he had them. Special occasion, she replied. I guess bringing argument for a vote to engage in war alongside Echo is worthy of pants. I guess. Discussion and debate continued among the various tiers of the assembly, with the two lead representatives and Tesla remaining quiet. None of them addressed Ramona or Mercury, although plenty of them stared and pointed. Ramona craned her neck up to see the woman frowning down at Mercury with clear disapproval. She elbowed him and pointed with her chin. Well, she's not happy with us. And Mabel isn't happy with a lot of this. Trina says she's led a lot of the resistance to any additional involvement. She was also one of the people who came for Eisenfaust's body, which doesn't make any sense to me, he said. With all of that knowledge, why wouldn't they want help? She didn't want to answer him out loud, but Ramona could think of plenty of reasons for a prominent figure in a supposedly superior society to plead neutrality instead of alliance. She let go of Mercury's hand and approached the full figure of Tesla. In a rather pedestrian fashion, he made as if to walk down a spiral staircase and came to stand in front of her. Ramona giggled when she realized that she had to look up to speak with the thin, refined man. You're taller than I expected, sir. It is as I have always been. Sometimes one's appearance in matters of diplomacy requires a certain presentation. He smoothed the front of his jacket and studied Ramona. You are very direct in your negotiations. It would be difficult for those of the assembly to tell you no. She couldn't tell if he had intended the words as a compliment or just as an odd bit of a conversation. Yankee Pride and Belladonna Blue find that quality to be useful at times. Infuriating at others, but it's been pretty useful as of late. Indeed. Your choice of words was a bit sharp, but appreciated, he finished. My nephew believed wholeheartedly in an alliance of Echo and Metis. He attempted an earlier alliance, but was never able to move beyond initial negotiations. Tesla sighed and shook his head, the outline blurring with the movement. At least we are no longer at a stalemate. Either they will vote to assist or not.
Ramona found the man's pessimism bothersome. She had managed to convince him to participate in a complex magical endeavor for the sake of unlocking the charter. Compared to that, reminding the medicines that their self-preservation demanded an alliance with Echo seemed easy. Let's strike the or not from that sentence, sir. The vote's not final yet. A single bell chimed in the hall from somewhere near the lead representatives. Tesla gave Ramona a curt nod and climbed the invisible staircase to stand next to Mabel. She didn't appear too unnerved by the wireframe man at her side. Mabel rang the small handbell a second time. The crisp tone was answered by all of the lights along the balconies going dark. In spite of the unorthodox presentation of this issue to the assembly, the man on the dais began. He did not bother to hide his disdain for the two standing in the center of the room. We call for a vote on the alliance of Metis with Echo to unite in defense against the Thulians and their allies. We acknowledge that this course may result in conflict, but we bring this to the assembly for a single and final vote. He stressed the last two words without looking at Ramona and Mercury. Ramona remained still and strained to see the members of the assembly. Above her, the bell chimed a third time. Final vote, Mercury repeated next to her. But what if something happens? What if they say no? Can't we petition a second time? She wanted to point out that they hadn't exactly petitioned a first time. Mercury shifted from one foot to the other with nervous energy. The room remained pitch black. And, and what about us? If this fails, do we go on trial? I don't think they'd kill us, but I don't want to go back to that white room. Might as well give me a straitjacket. Rick? Ramona became aware of small chimes from around the assembly. She reached back to place a finger over his lips to stem the stream of worry. Wait. A single blue light shone near the door, Trina's face illuminated by the glowing disc in the palm of her hand. She stared up at Mabel in defiance, all traces of fear gone. Across the cavernous hall, another pinprick of blue light appeared, but Ramona could not make out the face of the owner. She held her breath as more dots of light appeared in the blackness, like so many stars in the Georgia sky. At some point, Mercury took her hand from his lips and placed it flat against his chest. Ramona fought down the rising hope, not wanting to acknowledge any measure of victory should one person vote against the alliance of Echo and Metis. Light continued to spread through the assembly, surrounding them and stretching up until Ramona could see the soft blue reflected on the mirrored ceiling. Now the pinpoints of lights became ribbons of blue, circling the assembly and illuminating the solemn faces of thousands of medicines. Unable to resist, she turned to check the pair on the dais. The man held a blue disc. Mabel's disc glowed white, and Ramona clamped down on her anger. One vote would leave Echo to fend for themselves because of this so-called superior democracy. She resisted the urge to use Overwatch to notify Vicky or Bella to let them know of the decision. It made no sense to provide them with only part of the information.
Mercury let out a ragged breath. He must have seen Mabel as well. Looks like it's white walls in Star Trek for me too, she thought. Ramona hoped at least they would have the original series. She had a soft spot for McCoy. The bell chimed one last time. Ramona glanced to the door, wondering if Trina would be able to speak with them before the medicine authorities hurried them off to separate cells for a superiorly intellectual reprimand. At the very least, Ramona owed the young woman a thank you and an apology. She hoped that they wouldn't punish Trina too severely for her part in their plan. To her surprise, Trina beamed at them, both hands cupped around her glowing disc. Ramona stared back, puzzled. She craned her neck back up to see Mabel, who now held no disc. The man next to her raised his blue disc above his head. With one abstention, the petition is passed. The alliance is approved. Mercury grabbed her around the waist and hugged her. None in the assembly applauded or offered congratulations. Ramona had enough sense of mind to smile up at Tesla. He gave her a crisp nod and the wireframe of his body faded in a thoroughly Cheshire manner. She thought she caught a wink as his head disappeared, but she couldn't be sure. Outside of the assembly, Trina pulled the doors shut, her cheeks flushed pink with excitement. She hugged each of them in turn before racing down the hallway. Mercury caught Ramona in a tight hug and moved as if to kiss her, but Ramona held a finger to his lips. Overwatch? Get me Parker, she murmured, her eyes locked on the speedster. And tell them to send in those icebergs. You have been listening to Collision, Season 8 of the Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series. Season 8 is written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Music is Exciting Trailer by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle podcast is narrated and produced by Veronica Jaguer and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. The fourth book, Collision, is available in print and ebook in December 2014 from the amazing people at Bayon Books. For more information about the series or to listen to earlier seasons, check out www.secretworldchronicle.com. Want to chat with the authors and fellow SWC fans? Join the Secret World Chronicle group on Facebook. And as always, thank you for listening.